Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast, a podcast all about early stage web developers and the mentors and teachers that helped them along the way. Hey, Joel. Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast. Hey, yeah. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So um, I always ask people to write a short introduction in the doc. Um, the idea is that I'll put it in this in the show notes eventually. Um, I used to read them out, but then I thought, no, that's kind of like, I don't want to be the person telling your story. You should tell your story. But what I what I like about the one that you, you wrote here is it's kind of going to lead us into my first question um, because you say you're a software developer who's gone from building like really basic HTML and CSS websites to being the fractional CDO of a startup and a whole lot in between. So can you tell us about that whole lot in between? <laughs> wow, that's a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, so like I said, I'm self-taught. Uh, I started playing around with code when I was in middle school. Um, I built a website with the website builder Angelfire. Uh, I doubt most of the listeners will know that. <laughs> uh, the veterans might. So, uh, uh, but it wasn't good enough. So I started playing around with it to customize some of the CSS here and there, things like that. Um, and then I just kind of fell in love with it. So ever since I've just been addicted to writing code and building things and customizing things, you know, back in the day of MySpace. I'd customize everyone's themes for them, things like that. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, eventually I got into it as a career. I used to do um, uh, audio engineering and and used to be a musician, but um, kind of realized that I prefer uh, working better hours than, you know, running sound at a bar overnight until 4 a.m. or having a more consistent paycheck. Uh, so I eventually decided to, to chase, uh, development instead. And, um, you know, getting my foot in the door was pretty tough, uh, not having a degree at, at that time, especially. Um, and once I finally got my foot in the door, then it was just, you know, I, I, I couldn't stop. <laughs> I was working day jobs. I was working on the side. I was doing freelance. I was doing anything I could to get my hands on some code and, uh, might call it a bit of an addiction, but it was fun. Um, and I felt like I was trying to compensate for my lack of education. So I felt like I constantly had to, to be working on something and learning new technologies. Um, but yeah, yeah, because of that, I've been able to work on a lot of different technologies. I've been able to work in different, um, industries, uh, hold different positions, part-time, full-time contract, freelance consultant, um, fractional CTO, uh, all kinds of stuff. It's just been a wild ride, but it's been a blast. Yeah, I love that. Sounds very familiar. I also used to be a musician before I got into tech and um, <clears throat> kind of switched oh, for yeah. the same reason. I couldn't make a decent living enough um, out of it. It was just, uh, I was in classical guitar, and so that's a very niche audience. Um, and in South Africa, there wasn't a big audience for that. And going international is even harder. So, you know, I eventually started toying with tech and then kind of that just one thing led to the other. And I eventually ended up in tech. <laughs> so that's that's a very familiar yep. story to me. Um, yeah. 
So you've mentioned that you've had access to play with a lot of different technologies and um, no kidding, because when I went on your website, you have the section uh, where you can learn more about the work you've done and then you have this filter by technology and I clicked on that and I was like, holy Moses, <laughs> there's a lot here. So is, is this just uh, a side effect of... Like you said, you felt you had to like compensate for the fact you didn't have an official of whatever degree in, in tech. So you've like, or is it just curiosity that drive you to this? Yeah, no, it's uh, a bit of both, I think. Uh, it, what's funny is on my website, that's only the interesting projects that I, I thought were worth putting on there. There's uh, plenty of other ones that I didn't even bother putting on there. So um the the amount of technology i've touched is probably even more than that and i've forgotten half of it um no i think a lot of it is is yeah i'm just really fascinated by the technology and i'm always interested in learning new technology um i'm not one who is i'm not in favor of these tech wars of you know react versus view or whatever it's I'm not a fan of it. Um, I think they all technologies are great and I think they all have pros and cons and I want to play around with all of them and learn all of them just for the heck of it. Um, uh, and that's part of it. A uh, part of it is, yeah, feeling like I had to compensate for my lack of education. Um, at this point, I don't feel like I need to anymore, but for the first, you know, few years of my career, especially, I really felt like I did. Um, part of it wasn't exactly my choice either. Uh, <laughs> One of the jobs I held, uh, almost every project I worked on, they were like, hey, so you've got this project. It's in this technology. Nobody here knows it. So good luck. And I had to figure it out. Um, So there was a lot of those that I mean, I'm thankful for the experience. But at the time, it was a bit it was rough. (laughs) Yeah, not for sure. Having to kind of and I think that that is the um, it it comes to this point where, that I've said that everybody is, is a beginner at something at some point. It doesn't matter like how many years experience you have. And I think that story like exemplifies that where you work on this project and you gain this experience with these set of technologies. And then somebody comes to you and says, hey, here's a new project. Nobody knows what to do. Good luck with that. And you feel completely like a newbie again. Now you have to learn. And sometimes it can even be in the same language. Like I've told people like the fact that you know JavaScript is going to help you with React but there is core concepts of React that is going to trip you up in the beginning um, that you need to, the whole thing of thinking in React, like you need to read that part before you jump into it because it's a, you have to have a, a mental shift. And then when you go to view, you kind of have to have a different mental shift again because oh, yeah. there's, there's similarities, but there's differences yeah. as well, even though the underlying language mm-hmm. is the same for all yeah. of them. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I when I, you know, my early days, I was working in JavaScript with jQuery uh, for a long time. And so making that transition from jQuery to Vue or React or whatever, uh, it was a complete 180 in how I had to think about how to do things. And I, at one point, I ended up having to go back to a project that was on jQuery after spending years working in Vue. And it was rough. Uh, I've forgotten how to think that way. And I kept trying to do things in the view way with jQuery and it just doesn't work that way. Uh, so yeah, it is, it's same language, but entirely different experience. Yeah. I've found myself, um, often when I'm in a, as I say, in a JavaScript project, um, wanting to reach for a use state, um, hook. And I'm like, Oh wait, that doesn't exist here. <laughs> you have to manage yeah. state differently. <laughs> yeah. So, um, one of the other things I saw is that you, um, 
mentioned the words indie hacking and I I'm really interested in that whole ecosystem uh, like the indie web and this idea of owning your own um, content uh, running your own website having your own domain and then basically sharing to the social networks but the social networks is not where you post that's where you share and I kind of think that's kind of what social media was really for, but it turned into like it became where people's content live. And then if one of these platforms goes away, people are like, oh, my goodness, all my content's gone. So and then another thing that you said is that on your Twitter profile, it says like um, you make everything in the open. So those two are very closely related. Do you want to dig a little bit into the concepts of IndieWeb and making things in the open? Sure, yeah. And maybe also with the angle of how has that helped you in your career? I think that might sure. be interesting to know as well. Definitely, yeah. Uh, well, to be honest, I don't remember how I stumbled upon the indie hacking community. Uh, it was through Twitter, but I think it was just, I don't know, serious, uh, trying to find tech-based people that were interesting. And then over time, it eventually kind of led into that. But somehow now I'm, I'm kind of inundated with the indie hacker uh, community really and uh it's pretty great they're they're all very supportive so yeah the um a lot of things are based around uh for example the website indiehackers.com um Cortland allen uh built that and eventually stripe acquired it um he still runs it um and it was just it's a really cool resource to let uh indie hackers bootstrappers uh be able to just kind of share their information share their stories their successes their failures uh what they learned from that things like that and and that's what i like about it is um it's different than just you know, I, my whole career, like I said, I've been playing around with technology. I've built who knows how many things just because uh, they were useless things, but they were just something to build and learn. Um, and so it kind of shifts that into building something to solve problems, um, whether it's solving your own problem, solving someone else's problem that you know. Um, it's it's making other people's lives easier um, by building uh, something interesting. And that's kind of that's exactly where I want to be as a developer is the most rewarding and the most uh, enjoyable thing for me is I want to build something that makes someone else's life easier. Um, and so, you know, that that's what got me sucked into it. And so I started playing around building different web apps, different, you know, a few different projects here and there. And the thing about the community is um, everyone, you know, a lot of people share everybody shares different levels of information, but everybody in that community is pretty open about their startup and what they're doing. Some of them share screenshots of their revenue every month. And some of them, you know, just show like, this is the technology I'm using, or this is the problem I had, or this was an experience I had with someone reaching out to customer service and how I solved it. Um, anything, everything you don't, the, the thing about building in public and, uh, with the indie hacking community is you don't have to follow a specific rule set. It's whatever you want to share, share. Um, and everybody's just kind of there to help each other and you learn from everyone's experience. So, you know, that's kind of what got me into it and, and how I was able to learn a lot from them um, and hopefully was able to uh, bypass some mistakes, uh, common mistakes, because I learned from other people who had already made those mistakes. Um, now, as far as the, how that's helped me in my career, I think 
that could, that could go a few different ways. Um, in one side, a lot I see a lot of indie hackers say that because they've started their own business and, and ran their own business, they now consider themselves unhirable. Um, and for some people, that's their goal. They want to be unhirable because they just either can't imagine being uh, reporting to a boss, you know, or they just can't deal with the the day in day out of a office work or whatever the situation is a lot of people in that community that's their goal for me it's just been a way to expand my knowledge and my experience of the community um, of the technologies of you know new ways of looking at how to build things um, i've been able to bring those experiences into my work and say hey i you know i learned something new about react or um why don't we think about the customer in this mindset or, you know, anything from the technology to just the, the critical thinking uh, about how you think about things. And I think it can help you too. I think it can help, um, help you see things from your leader's perspective. So whether that's your direct boss uh, manager, or if that's the CEO, CTO of the company, whatever that situation is, I think it can help you see things from their perspective, having attempted to run your own small thing, um, startup, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can kind of see like, Oh, okay. I understand these pain points, or I understand that they have to, they have to consider all of these different things. It's not as straightforward as I thought. Um, so yeah, I think it can help in a lot of different ways. Yeah, that that last part. Uh, a friend of mine, um, Peter, as oftentimes when I um, when we've had problems and you have these different potential avenues and you maybe don't understand why why you would choose one over the other, he's often said like, imagine that you're this you and your buddy in a garage trying to build something and you've got a million dollars. Like, how would you spend it? Like think about it from that perspective, and that's always like that's that's a good thing because now you can now you can put yourself in that situation. Like if this was my product and I had a million dollars, and it's only the two of us, so we have constraints of of finances, and we have the constraints of it's only the two of us. Which of these things would we, would you have invested in if it was your company? So I think it is great. I think um, what it's, what I'm curious about is the unhirable aspect of that. Is that like just because you turn more and more into a cat and they're less able to be heard, um, you know, hurting cats, is it that you turn more <laughs> into a cat and so it's too hard to hurt you, so employers are like, ah, can't work with this guy? Or is it just that literally working a nine-to-five, doing the same thing, is just going to be soul-crushing? I, I think it's more of the latter for a lot of people. Um the way I understood it, the way I take it when I hear people talk about that is that they, they, I guess they imagine that it would be too impossible for an employer to satisfy all of their needs um, to be able to hire them. So they might have a high set of requirements now of, yeah, well, you know, my, my time is my own now, so I'm considered free um, so I'm going to need to be able to work whatever hours I want. I'm going to need to be able to have this, you know, who knows how big of a salary I'm going to need the freedom to, to work wherever I want, whenever I want. And who knows what other requirements they might have. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that might be part of the unhirable approach, um, or, or mindset. But again, I think it might be different for everybody. 
Uh, some people might just be that they can no longer even imagine going back to working the nine to five. Uh, it's too soul crushing for them or, or whatever. That's interesting. Cause I've, I've also been in the hackers on the website, but I haven't in a while. Um, and I, I think I, I need to get back there because it is an inspiring place. Do you think, do you see like, because I, I discovered, I found out about you through Polywork. And this is how this, this, this conversation happened. Um, so do you think Polywork is, is like Polywork and indie hackers, are they like birds of the same feather or are they, mutually exclusive i'm trying to think i so i don't use polywork a whole lot most of that is because i just forget to do things like that to mm-hmm, go mm-hmm. and look at these communities i'm terrible about keeping up with social media and being involved with the communities um but i i want to i just i never take the time to do it so yeah. uh, from my perspective i think that they're they're somewhat independent but Polywork to me is what LinkedIn should have been for people who are indie hackers, but not just indie hackers. Uh, but I think it's better than LinkedIn for people who are indie, indie hackers or other similar things where basically you have the whole concept behind it is you're not just one job. You know, you're not yeah, one title. Yeah. You have all of these different roles, whether you're on the board at another company or whether you're doing freelance or you're running three startups or whatever. Um, I think Polywork is a lot more inclusive for those types of roles. So I think it's helpful for indie hackers, but I don't necessarily think they're dependent on each other. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point of view. I, I agree with that. And I didn't realize that I I didn't connect this poly aspect of the poly work with what you just said um, until I saw the very first video they posted on the YouTube channel where the founder of Polywork like talked about what the idea behind Polywork is. And he talked about exactly that, like you aren't defined by a single role or a single title. You are multi like what's another TED talk a multi-potentialite you have all these potentials and you have all these things that you're doing um and then I was like gotcha that makes a lot of sense and yeah I do think like the LinkedIn for indie hackers it does it does sound like a very a very good um, analogy of what it is I I'm I'm enjoying it and I'm trying to use it more and more and I know they're investing quite a bit in the platform and really trying to grow it and I wish them all 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 the best of success I mean um this podcast exists largely because of the amazing um, people I got that just, you know, offered to to come on the podcast, even though you know it didn't even exist. Um, so I'm I'm thankful for that. Um, so I I read that you also considered yourself primarily a backend developer, but then more and more you you found yourself leaning towards front end, and especially JavaScript was one of the drawing. Uh, the things that drew you to the front end. So what are the things about JavaScript that got you really excited and maybe that you're looking, that you enjoy at the moment, that you're really excited about right now in the in the world and maybe things that's like on the horizon? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, yeah, I mean, m- most of my experience has been full stack um, and I usually would lean more towards the back end, like you said. Um, the front end, I, I don't mind it, but I'm just not a very visual 
person, so I'm not great at the UI UX kind of stuff. I need I need someone else, like a designer, to kind of help me along with those things. Uh, but otherwise, uh, front end can be enjoyable whenever it's more about the logic and and things like that. So what excites me about JavaScript? Um, I love as a full stack developer. I love that I can use the same language full stack. Um, it's super exciting now that, you know, Node is becoming so popular and frameworks like Nuxt and Next.js are out there where you can just, you can build your full stack all in the same project with the same language. And if you're using things like TypeScript, you can have full stack type safety and, you know, things like that. It's just, it's really, really cool to be able to have this cohesive system instead of, well, I've got to have this one environment for my backend with Python, PHP, Go, whatever. And then this other entirely different uh, environment for front end, which you can still do. And it's still great if you want to do that. But the convenience of being able to do it all together in one language is just, it's really cool. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, it is freeing. Like, I mean, I definitely always saw myself as more of a front end developer, but when Node came along, it opened up avenues that I didn't have before. And I mean, to some extent, I still see myself as primarily front-end, but I definitely can do the full stack. That is, that's for sure. Like, I do build projects for some folks that um, that do use like Prisma and MongoDB, and it's all doing that all through Node. Um, do you, so, so there's some talk, a proposal from Microsoft about bringing the core concepts of TypeScript to JavaScript. It's a bit of a hot topic. Do you think that's a good idea or do you think it should be rather two separate things that you... And the thing is the way that they are... Because that is a thing you can't just change JavaScript to be a typed language, right? Because there's way too much code out there that'll break. That That's always the thing with JavaScript is... Um, like you have to be so careful how you introduce new features that you don't break things going back. So it looks to me, if, if what I've read from the um, proposal is that it's almost like this JS doc style type of thing where you use annotations. Um, and it's just that that becomes part of the core language as opposed to it being a TypeScript thing. Do you think that would be good to have it part of the JavaScript language and therefore part of ECMA? And the standards body, as opposed to this thing that Microsoft runs. Well, that's really interesting. I, I hadn't heard that. Uh, I mean, I think, I think what you said is is pretty pretty much right on it. Is sure it would be really cool to have that, but man, that would break so much stuff. So yeah, finding that right balance. I mean, you know, I guess PHP did similar things, right? So they started implementing strict types. And uh, you could optionally, on each PHP file, you could optionally put strict type enables at the top of it, and it would force it, uh, it would throw compiling errors, basically, um, if, if it didn't match the types, um, which I started doing eventually and, and started forcing all my code to be strictly typed in PHP. But it didn't break things before that because you had to explicitly enable it per file and then you know eventually maybe moving into having that deep by default enabled over time could be useful so i think if javascript were able to implement something like that i think it could be cool um i i mean i think having the type safety in javascript helps a lot and i think it's really useful i think it does make the learning curve much higher for newer developers so that's a bit dangerous um 
JavaScript is such a common language right now, and it's so easy to be able to tell newer developers, yeah, just play around with JavaScript. You could pretty much guarantee to get a job. You can play with it directly in the browser. You can, you know, test it around very easily. Um, and don't worry about TypeScript at first, because first you just need to learn how to write in a programming language. Um, and doing TypeScript, I think, could be overwhelming to someone who's new. So, I mean, I don't know. That's really, that's a really interesting concept, but personally i would love it but i don't think for as a whole i don't think it might be the best idea yeah i yeah, I, I agree with that. that that is also the concern for me is because i can't remember if it was a question i wanted to ask somebody or whether it is something i did pose to to someone but i was asking this question like when do you start introducing typescript to um, new developers like when is the right time and it's it's pretty far down the line as far as I'm concerned. Um, there's quite a lot in JavaScript to just wrap your head around. Like if you don't understand the whole idea of closures and the whole idea of, of like how you do functional programming in JavaScript, because that seems to be like where JavaScript is moving more and more. Um, then adding types on top of that, it's, it's going to be... I think one of the nice things about front-end but just web in general is how approachable it is. It's yeah. it's not easy. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not easy. Mm -hmm. um, but it, but it's definitely easier than trying to get into like an enterprise level um, language as your first language. Yeah, the entry point so, is a lot lower. Yeah. Yeah, you can you can do quite a bit without having to have this like breadth of of programming experience. So yeah, I, so I think if it's, it's almost like, you know, you can already now, if you write some JavaScript and it's not like using ESM, then you can put the little use strict at the top, right? And then it, it tells the JavaScript parser, hey, if you run into a thing, just don't try and help me, just throw an error, which is like PHP, like you said. So maybe maybe they'll, if, if, if this comes to pass, maybe it'll be something like that. Maybe we'll have a type annotation to say at type safe or something, and then it, it kicks into a different yeah, like, JavaScript it would, engine. It would have to be an optional opt-in that over time we could potentially move to be default to true. But for now, for a long time, it would have to be something like that, yeah. So um, uh, another tricky potentially question. What do you see as the biggest challenges in tech? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. It, specifically in web development too, uh, I think I think this applies more so in web development than most other areas, although maybe not, I don't have that much experience outside of web, but um, analysis paralysis. I think there are way too many cool tools in web development and technologies, programming languages, frameworks, whatever that how do you decide what to use for each project and do you keep using the same thing or do you use the new shiny thing every day you know there's just there's too much of that and it's great but it is super overwhelming especially for newer developers but i mean even today i i struggle with that regularly of if i'm starting a new project oh i would love to play around with this new cool technology but I could use the same thing that's safe. I know it and I could do it a lot faster and and it would be a better end result because I know it so well. Um, so I think that's one of the big challenges and kind of along the same lines is it's it changes so rapidly. Every day there's something new 
and or things are or are, are updated you know every day where new features or features are deprecated or whatever the the rapid changing of of the front end technologies is it, it can feel overwhelming to keep up with whether you're an early stage developer or a veteran it's it, especially in the front end um and it's, for me I, th- I think those are two of the, the biggest challenges yeah so do you have any strategies for how to safely drink from the fire hose <laughs> oh i hmm. <laughs> for me it's been so as an indie hacker uh you know they they always say don't go with a new shiny go with what you know the best framework to build your project in is the thing that you know the best whatever you're most comfortable in and you know majority of the time that is true i think that's a great case unless your plan or your goal is to expand your you know portfolio of technology for your resume or whatever if that's your goal then sure learn something new um but for the most case i think it's whatever you already know but if you're jumping in brand new and you don't know anything what i found is jumping into if if you have resources, if you have contacts of somebody who's already in that field, maybe learning something that they know so that they can be a mentor or at least just be a, a source of support. Um, and then from there, you can branch out to whatever kind of comes your way. For me, most of the technology I learned was a result of either somebody I knew or a job I got. Um, and so it was not always my choice, but it kind of, I, I got led down these paths because that those are the doors that opened to me. Um, and then some of the other ones I kind of forced open myself because I would spend who knows how many hours trying to learn new things because I wanted to learn it. Uh, but I mean, that's how I spent half of my career in the e-commerce um, framework Magento. Um, I It was one of those projects at that job where they were like, well, we don't have a Magento person and we have a new Magento project, so you win. And from then on, I was the Magento guy because I (laughs) terribly built a website in Magento. And, you know, five, six years later, I'm no four or five years later. I don't know. I'm I I got a job as a Magento developer across the ocean in an entirely new continent and uh, got to come over to France and and work a job there as the Magento guy at this company. And uh, you know, after that, I kind of decided I'm done with Magento. I'm ready to go back to building tools. Like I said, you know, I want to build tools that people use and not e-commerce or marketing things. So I kind of got out of that eventually, but, but that experience helped me get to where I am. Um, So yeah, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but (laughs) no, no, that's all good. That's all good. Um, So uh, to to go further off on a tangent, um, there's two tools that I've seen that you've built that that really intrigues me. And one is really funny, and I can totally understand why you created that. Because I've heard so many developer stories about how many domain names do you own? And it's like, let me pull out my spreadsheet and see what I'm up to. Um, And I've also got probably more than I use. Um, So... The, the two tools I'm talking about, the one is, is completely different, but I'm curious about that one, and that's my cosplace. And then the other one is Domain Goalie, which is such a yep. cool name, if you want to talk about those two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Domain Goalie, exactly. It's it's a silly product. Um, 
so yeah we we all know the the joke the running joke of developers and indie hackers both of we have way too many domains we're kind of obsessed with buying them we have a graveyard of dead projects that we never finished but we bought the domain for it um and it's just a a running joke because it's true for a lot of us and i think one day i saw somebody on twitter post something like uh can i hire someone to insult me every time i try to buy a domain or something silly like that and i just thought it was so funny and i thought well i mean i can't be there to watch over your shoulder but a browser uh extension can be um so i i just spent like a couple hours that evening like hey i've never built a browser extension let's figure out how you do how to do that and uh just played around built a super simple silly uh browser extension that basically just it it's right now it only supports a few of the main websites where you buy domains but it checks to see if you're trying to buy a domain and it shows a pop-up that basically tries to talk sense into you to kind of say like hey will you be spending time on this in two years like is this really worth your money right now um and i mean you know it's not really useful it's it's kind of annoying but it's just a fun little thing and i think i've got like one person using it and (laughs) it's it is what it is it was just a fun response of like hey i built this in case you want to use it kind of thing yeah, that's that's hilarious, but it's it's cool. It's I like how that often leads you down <laughs> down paths. Like the, exactly here, it was a case of I've never built a browser extension. Let me see what that's all about. And here's a project exactly. that we can talk about. Exactly. And so my cosplays. How does how did that come about? So yeah, my wife and I we go to conventions like Dragon Con, uh, similar to Comic Con, but other ones. Um, and we usually will cosplay. We'll dress up in costume of different characters. So my wife is great at making those cosplays. I just put them on and wear them. <laughs> but uh, one of the most annoying things about that is the hours, days, weeks you'll spend afterwards searching for photos of yourself. And a lot of times there are Facebook groups where people will just dump their hundreds or thousands of photos they took. And you'll just scroll through all of them trying to find them. Um, and, you know, it's annoying, but it is what it is uh and i've also found like at a lot of photo shoots at, at conventions um a lot of us would spend time afterwards just looking each other up on our phones on instagram right then and there following each other so we could post you know photos of each other um and i just thought there's got to be a, a better way to do this so uh i decided it was i think a year ago at the convention i kind of thought all right i want to i want to think about this see if i could find a way to make this easier for us um, and so my, my first thought was, yeah, business cards would be cool. Um, having pictures of you and your cosplays on the business cards. So that way the person won't forget. They're going to take hundreds of photos at that convention. They're going to forget who gave them that card. And the problem with that is every year you're going to have new cosplays. I have some friends. One of my friends last year brought this year brought 16 cosplays. I mean, there's no way he's going to fit all those photos on a card. And then every year he'd have to get new cards printed. So it's not that's not really reasonable. So then I thought, you know, a digital portfolio, you can update whenever you want. But how do you connect that? And so then I thought, well, okay, QR codes. QR codes have been really popular, especially through COVID. Um, they, they've kind of make, made a comeback because of the pandemic, I think, uh, especially uh, within Europe, at least. Um, so I thought, okay, build a portfolio, get a QR code that points to that portfolio, um you can also have all your links to your social media accounts so it's kind of like a link tree with a portfolio combined 
And then um, you can get business cards with a couple photos of your cosplays on them and then that QR code so people can either at that moment scan the QR code and go to your website or they can take the card and then later if they forget who you were, they can scan it and find a photo of the cosplay that you were in. Um, and so I thought, okay, maybe that'll kind of connect everything. Um, so yeah, I, I built my cosplays as a way to, to try and do all of that. Uh, this year at Dragon Con was my first year really getting to try it out. Uh, in the meantime, I've had a few other users test it out at a couple other conventions. Uh, one in, in um, um, oh, I've completely lost where it was, so never mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was it was somewhere here in Europe. I can't remember now, but um, but there's so I've seen a few people try it out, and then I tested it out this year at, at Dragon Con. Um, to be honest, I didn't get the reaction I thought it would. Uh, mm -hmm. it still seems to be missing something that really, I think either people don't see its, um, relevance or don't see its value right away. Um, so whether or not that's, it's missing a feature or if it's missing just clear communication, um, haven't quite figured that out yet, but I think it's, I think it's on the right track. Um, and you know, I've got a group of friends who we all cosplay together and I've gotten a lot of feedback from them about it and, and what, what they thought it was when they first saw it or what they expect it to be. So I think it'll, it'll continue to change. Um, there might be more of a social platform aspect to it. Uh, a lot of cosplayers seem to use Facebook groups, but a lot of people hate using Facebook now. I mean, you know, there's a lot of drama yep. around that. So a lot mm -hmm. of people don't want to be on the platform, but Facebook groups is really the only place they can find that experience or those cosplay groups. So maybe finding a way to kind of to implement a way for them to to replace Facebook groups with with this platform might be useful. Um, just some different ideas I've got kind of um, I'm playing with right now. Yeah, I've totally heard this um, talk about this idea that there is a need for um, very niche social networks um and i think the i like so web3 is a um an interesting topic that has multiple angles and depending on which angle you approach it at you'll have different people respond in different ways i think some of the underlying core concepts that has been forgotten isn't a bad idea like the whole idea of being decentralized um owning what you make um, forming smaller groups. Um, I think those are good ideas. And I think that might be where it plays into because things like Mastodon and stuff like that, where you can spin up your own little version of Twitter in a sense, but for a very niche community. And you can cross link it between um, other Mastodon instances that is relevant, but different enough to have their own niche. So I think maybe you're onto something here. I think maybe... The cosplay community would like this. Yeah, I, I was honestly, I was against it being any anything similar to a social platform for a while. I kind of kept pushing back on that. Um, part of that is I just didn't want to deal with a social platform. I mean, there's always so much stuff that you have to deal with with that, with moderators and you know, just the 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 worst people. You know, always ruin it for everybody else. So. I didn't want to deal with that, but also I just kept thinking, I mean, there's so many great social platforms out there. Who's going to want to use this random one that I built? I mean, it's like, who am I kidding? I'm not going to be able to compete with a platform like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, things like that, nor do I want to. But 
your your point kind of has been what what you just said has been made clear to me i think by multiple people who i've tried talking to about my cosplays is yeah, well, they, they want a more specific platform that is dedicated to cosplayers and just the cosplay community wants somewhere to, to live, basically. Um, and there are other platforms that I think have been trying to do that. And so, again, I wasn't trying to compete with them. And if they are doing a good job, great, let's go there. But so far, I haven't seen any traction on any of them. Some people have kind of said like, oh, this platform we thought was going to be great, but it didn't really do what we wanted it to do or whatever. So... Yeah, I think maybe there there is a want for that, but I I kind of was closed minded about that for a little bit and wasn't open to to trying that. But I I think finally they've talked me into it. <laughs> yeah, I have a project that that I've not abandoned, but it's been definitely put on the back burner for quite some time, and it's it's because of a lot of the same fears. So that one is a very different audience. The audience is finding small businesses in your own area and supporting um, small local businesses. Um, but I did think that one of the benefits of something like that would be the ability to review. And that scares me because now, now you're opening it up to user comments and I'm like, uh, I don't know if I want to go down that road. So I've kind of been, I think that's one of the reasons why I kind of just let the project, it's live, it's up there, it's it's working in, in a shape or form. Like I, I get these stats that four people visited it this week, nobody visited this week, two people visited this week. And I'm like, okay, so somehow people are stumbling upon it. Um, <clears throat> but again, I need to invest time and energy into that. And I think there needs to be a social aspect to it. And that scares me. And I think that's why I've put it up. Something as simple as people being up, being able to upload a profile photo scares me. Because now they, you have to monitor that stuff because people could upload anything as their profile picture. You, now you have to go think like, what machine learning thing can I put in? Is it going to be biased? Is it going to like flag stuff that is actually fine? But the, the like uh, data set has been trained on is biased. And that's why it's flagging these things and it's causing me more work than it's helping me. So I think it's those things <clears throat> that as an indie hacker and stuff like that, you often run into and where you kind of like lose steam with the thing because it's just like, oh my goodness, I don't know. But again, then I think that's where community comes in, right? Where you can talk about these things to other indie hackers and they might say, hey, you know what? I've actually had that fear, but this is how I solved it. And you can be like, oh my goodness, I did not know about this. So I think this that's where community comes into play. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, well, um, good luck with those. I, I think there's something there, and I hope it I hope it blossoms into something that the uh, cosplay community can be excited about. Um, another thing that I'm excited about because I saw that you posted this on in July ish of this year, I think, is um, a blogging series about using dev tools for beginners which is like perfect for the the audience of this uh, podcast um two questions um what do you see as dev tools because oftentimes when i think dev tools i think you open command what's it command alt i those dev tools or do you mean more a broad sure. sense of dev tools yeah maybe dev tools wasn't the best word to use there um yeah i so for me as a self-taught developer, um, one of the hardest parts I think of, of learning things was 
tutorials and courses, things like that would cover the language or the framework you're on, but they would kind of assume that you know how to set up your local development environment, or they might assume that you know how to use package handler or whatever. And those are the things where it's like, wait, what is this NPM? What does that even mean? You know? Um, and then you have to go down rabbit hole after rabbit hole of figuring out how to do these things and then connecting the pieces. And I, I think that that's, a part that's sorely lacking in in um, educational content, or at least it's hard to find it. Um, so I was considering a while back, I, I wanted to start writing more, um, more, blogging more. I kind of enjoy doing it, and I, I would like to give back to the development community that's taught me so much over the years. Um, and so I, I asked an um, early stage developer that I've been mentoring for a while, what his biggest pain points were or things that he would love to have more resources about. And he basically said exactly that, um, that, you know, connecting all those pieces of, yeah, sure. There's teaching me how to code, but they're not teaching me how to set up my environment so I can be ready to code or things like that. Um, and as soon as he said that it kind of clicked that, Oh yeah, I had that same problem. Um, it makes sense. I, I would love to write about something like that then. Uh, to be honest, I, I haven't, since I posted that, I haven't made any progress. Uh, I've been dealing with an, uh, a new job and an international move. So uh, things have been falling a little bit behind schedule, but I'm hoping to get started working on the actual posts soon. Um, and I'm, I'm also open to, uh, I'm hoping it'll be a growing living thing. So I'm open to if somebody asks, you know, hey, could you cover this topic? If it's something that I'm able to cover, then I'd be happy to add it to the list and to the series and, and write about it. Yeah. But yeah, I'm excited to do it. I'm hoping to learn a lot about it while I write too. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's one of my, like, again, I've also neglected blogging. I used to do it in the early days a lot. Um, mm. And then I kind of stopped. I think I hit a serious case of imposter syndrome and I was literally too mm. scared to post anything because I was like, yeah. What if I'm completely wrong here and somebody points it out? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's one of the biggest things that's held me back from writing for years. Yeah. Yeah. And also um, the other thing of there's so much on the internet. What do I, what is it going to help me to just write yet another blog post? And there's, exactly. and it's, you know, it's both of those things are like you're trying to, it's, it's your amygdala trying to keep you safe, <laughs> but yep. there's, there's no real danger here. But um, try convincing uh, that little monkey mind that that it's wrong. <laughs> it <doesn't laughs> exactly. I mean, that's that's always been the the big thing pushing me back. Is yeah, but what do I know? Because everything I know, I've already learned from the internet, so it's already out there. Why? What am I going to contribute to that? But I, over time, I've had to just learn that I have a unique perspective, just like mm -hmm. everyone else has their own unique perspective, given exactly. because of their experiences. And, uh, you know, maybe my unique perspective might help one person. So why not? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's, that's, that's the key is everybody has a unique way of approaching things. And the way you do it might just be the way that helps somebody else understand it, where mm -hmm. all the other things they read, just, it didn't click. I mean, I, for yeah. the longest time, didn't quite click with closures. And then, um, I, followed a course on front end masters where one person was talking mm -hmm. about it i can't remember her name now but um and the way that she explained it was just like oh it's actually kind of obvious <laughs> now that i understand what it is 
So exactly. I think the more voices, I think the whole talk about diversity, it leads, this is part of it. Um, diverse, uh, diverse voices, I think is important. Mm. Um, because again, somebody that I also mentored just yesterday told me, I don't understand what the package of JSON is. And I was like, mm, yeah, right. Right, it is kind of confusing, right? It's this thing that you have in the root folder and you kind of think that you have to have it, but you're like, I put it there because it seems like it needs to be there, but honest to goodness, I don't know what it does. And so I'd like, I want to dig into it a little bit more and I think this is the kind of stuff that you want to cover in your um, uh, blog series. Um, mm -hmm. Because it is, it is like, what is it? What's the point of it? And there is a, there's a reason, yeah. there's a point for it, but sure, it's yeah. not obvious if you don't go and really <laughs> dig into it. And it's actually important yeah. to understand what its purpose is. Um, right. Yeah, so that's super interesting. So with that and the fact that you've mentioned that you um, do mentor folks, um, mm -hmm. what advice do you have like for early stage web developers, as I like to call it, you know, either from a technical perspective or a career growth finding work thing or both? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say I've got kind of two main things that I usually try to try to tell people first of all build something real <laughs> uh, tutorials courses things like that are great and all but they only go so far um the first time you have a project where it's hey here's a list of requirements or we want to accomplish xyz whatever and you just have to use critical thinking to figure out how to build it and sure you can you know you're going to google a lot um and you're going to probably copy a lot of things from stack overflow although preferably you would write it while reading because it'll stick better but either way um you're going to do a lot of that but the fact that you had to use critical thinking to connect those pieces and to make each little piece work together as opposed to just following a course you're going to learn wildly more than you would have in months of courses uh versus one project like that um, it's just, it's gonna, it's gonna grow your, your, your learning uh, and your experience exponentially. And I think, and not only that, but it also helps your portfolio, right? I mean, there's a portfolio of, Hey, I, I did this. And as someone who doesn't have a degree, um, I learned early on that, um, for my resume to even be considered, I had to have a portfolio of real things that I built, you know, tutorial things that I built are fine and all, but they don't go very far. You need to show, hey, I built this thing on my own. I didn't follow a tutorial. It was my creation. It doesn't have to be complicated, but just something. And, you know, going into that, the first time you do that, it's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be terrifying. You're probably going to think that you, nobody should pay you right now because of your inexperience. Or maybe um, you don't feel worthy of being paid or you don't think that they will think you're worthy of being paid or, or whatever, right? But, I mean veteran developers have these same thoughts uh we it, it's called imposter syndrome like you already said you know it's it, we we always think about this but your first project now don't lie you know be transparent i'm early i'm an early stage developer i'm learning but i'm confident that i will do whatever it takes to get this done and to build the product that you want i'm going to learn a lot along the way i don't know what i'm doing but i'm going to figure it out and that's kind of the whole point of a job of a developer is figuring it out. <laughs> I mean, even now, it's it's not always just coding. It's figuring it out. Um, so I think, you know, you, you have to just push yourself past that and jump on a project. I mean, sure, you could do a free project for some people, 
but getting paid for an actual project, whether it's freelance or, or whatever, even if it's just a small amount, it, I don't know, it's a world of difference and it makes you feel more confident too. And, and it's just a great feeling of, Hey, I built that people are using it. I got paid for it. It'll, it'll change a lot. Um, so I think that's a huge milestone for early stage developers that you have to try and get over as soon as you can. Um, and a, the second thing, which kind of ties into the first one is contribute to open source. Um, you know, you can either get into open source as a gateway into building things on your own. So you can seek those things out. Uh, a lot of open source, um, software, they have, you know, public GitHubs, things like that. You can go search through their issue list. And a lot of times they have them tagged, um, for like good first time issues or something like that. Uh, that are great to just kind of introduce you into to working on something, that, a project that other people work on. Um, or it can be a side effect of the first thing where you start building things that use uh, open source and then you start finding bugs or you start finding missing features that you think they would they, they, it could use and then you contribute to add those things, which is how I got into it. And uh, either way, it's great because it not only gives you more experience to work on different technologies or even if it's the same technology, just different projects. Um, but it helps you get involved in the community. You get to meet new people. You, uh, it helps you learn how to contribute to a project where you're not the only contributor. So it kind of helps maybe teach you things about Git and how that works or just in general, like code reviews, things like that. Uh, speaking of code reviews, it also means that, um, other developers who are successfully maintaining uh, uh, software are going to be reviewing your code, which just means that it gives you new perspectives on your code reviews. You know, don't take offense if they tell you you did something wrong or you should change it this way or that way. Just be open-minded about that and, and understand that they are successfully maintaining the software. Uh, you're contributing to it. So use that as a learning experience. Uh, you can push back if you, if you disagree, but just, you know, be civil about it. Um, and then it also can get your name out there. I mean, I had a job offer be simply because I was contributing to certain open source software. Uh, and when they found out I was leaving my uh, job at the time, uh, they reached out to me and were like, hey, can, is it too late to offer you a job? Um, so, I mean, it, it can open up great opportunities. Um, plus, you know, it looks good on a resume. You can always put that on a resume of that you contributed to these open source software. And then it also just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a different feeling to successfully have code that you wrote be merged into open source software that who knows how many other people use. Um, it's just, it's super rewarding. It feels really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible advice. Thanks for sharing that. And that leads me into one of the last questions I have for you. And it is so you've built a SaaS product that I, mm -hmm. that you are very proud of and as you should be, what have you learned about product development in the process of building this, this project? Yeah. So the project is status tracker. Um, it was my first SaaS product. It was my first time really delving into the indie hacking community, uh, and, and trying to build my own thing. Um, so, I mean, I've learned a lot <laughs> from that project. Uh, one of the things I learned in that project was something I said earlier, which was the best tool or the best technology to use is a technology that you know well. Um, I use this as an excuse to learn some new things, but kind of a combination of some new things, some things I was familiar with. 
Um, so it meant that I didn't build it as well as I could have, but I did learn some new stuff. And, and so I built it on Next.js um, and I used a boilerplate. So it kind of came with some TypeScript baked in and uh, some other stuff uh, with GraphQL and, and um, a few other tools. So I was able to learn a few new things that I've since used on following projects. Um, but it also kind of taught me personally, I am not great at the non-technical part of building and maintaining a product. <laughs> um, I need, I need the yin to my yang to be able to handle those non-technological non-tech parts. I can try to do them poorly but I don't enjoy them and I'm not great at them. So things like, you know, reaching out to the community uh, and talking to potential users and, you know, just typical sales marketing type things. Um, they're just not an area that I'm comfortable in. And I tried it and I kind of lost my interest. I kind of lost my interest in the project entirely while trying to do those things. So some people are able to jump in and do those things and some people aren't. And you kind of have to figure that out for yourself. For me, I, I figured out that it's not the right fit for me and I need to find someone else to help me with that. Um, now, some of that could though be the subject matter. You know, with my cosplays, I feel a lot better doing those things because it's a community that I'm already involved in. I'm my own user, so it helps a lot. And I'm already, um, you know, I am a cosplayer. I talk with other cosplayers. I enjoy that community and being involved with them. So it's a little different. Um, so I think part of that too is, you know, if you're going to build something like this and maintain a product, maybe focus on something that you, the target audience is an audience that you want to be a part of, or that you are a part of, or that you enjoy working with something like that, where you're not going to get burnt out dealing with them every day. Yeah, that's great advice. I 100% agree with all of that. Um, me building a company, I have, it's turned into an agency and that's what I didn't want it to be. So now I have to 180 um, and mm -hmm. I have to ask myself these tough questions um, about how did I get here and how do I walk it back to being the thing that I actually wanted it to be to start off with mm -hmm. and also defining mm -hmm. what, what those things are. I think the, the reason why it happened is I never defined them. I never wrote the company mission if you if you want to yeah. if you want to put it that way. And so if you don't have a north star then it's easy to get um off course without realizing sure, yeah. it. Um if you don't have questions to ask yourself when somebody reaches out to you to do work, you don't have that those questions like is this does this go towards the mission of the company? No, then don't mm -hmm. take the work. Um, yeah. and of course yeah. circumstances can affect that like if you're um, if a pandemic hits <laughs> and you suddenly find that oh boy um, you might uh, put the mission on the side for for a little bit and say yes to things you wouldn't normally do but um, yeah it's yeah. one of those things that happens so yeah. in closing I know you enjoy traveling um, I, yeah. I, I used to love it when um, I used to be able to do that through one of the clients that I work with um cool yeah as you mentioned um you've been doing less of that for the same reason everybody else has been doing this but um mm. i'm curious what what has been some of the favorite places that you've visited and why those places mm. yeah yeah that's a tough question um i i'm not much of a favorite person like i i'm terrible at picking favorites um 
but I think, uh, I guess I would probably have to say just France in general, but mostly that's because we lived there for the past four years. So we've been able to travel it and see more of it than we have really anything else. Um, so I, I've been able to have a few kind of really cool memories of, we've taken a couple of road trips through France. Uh, the first time we, we, so we lived in Paris and we drove down through France, uh, down South, went down to Nice. And then we kind of spent about a week driving along the Côte d'Azur or the French Riviera. Um, and so we, we kind of drove our, our way, uh, West over to Montpellier. And then kind of drove back up north to Paris again. So we kind of got to see quite a bit of, of the coast, but then also, you know, southern France and things like that. Uh, we got to see a lot of really cool stuff. We didn't spend a lot of time in any one location, but it was just being able to see as much of it as we could was really cool. And I, I think that was right after things started opening up after the pandemic. Well, after the pandemic, during the pandemic, when things started opening up, <laughs> Um and and so we we decided well we don't want to take a train you know we don't want to be enclosed with other humans right now so let's take a car let's drive be on our own um and so we got to do stuff like that and um and then we got a uh, a little bit later my parents came to visit and so we took a road trip through the north of france and went through a lot of normandy and places like that um and so we've just, we've been able to see so much of france it's just been really cool but i i look forward to being able to do that in other locations now that we're in ireland i'd like to do that more here but also there's still plenty more of the world in general that we would like to to travel to more and um i think my my number one place that we are wanting to go to that we were supposed to have gone to during the pandemic was for our 10-year wedding anniversary we were going to um new zealand we were going to do the whole Hobbit trail thing, all that stuff. Um, but of course, COVID ruined that. So that's on our plans. We're, we're hoping to get that rescheduled soon. But I, I think that's kind of my number one. Like, I'm excited. I've been excited to go to New Zealand for years. So I, I really look forward to it. Yeah, sounds exciting. Yeah, I think that's also some, a place that I'd like to, to visit more so than Australia, to be honest. Australians have too many bugs. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't yeah. do good with bugs, and some of the some of the freaky stuff that I've seen there, it just comes yeah. out of your shoes in the morning. I'm just like, no, no. <laughs> it is terrifying. It is. I mean, I, I, I I'm I'm morbidly curious to go, <laughs> but. Um, we have some friends that we met in France who now live in, in Australia. So, you know, they've offered to, to house us if we go visit. So we, mm-hmm. we might do it one day, but I, I'm kind of the same of like uh, a little nervous, but still really would like to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a beautiful country. I mean, I don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's just there's a lot of creepy yeah, crawlies yeah. and I don't do good with those <laughs> creepy crawlies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, Joel, thanks. This is really, really good. I really enjoyed speaking with you. It's really easy to talk to you. And um, I think we share a lot of the same interests. So that helps. Yeah. And the same viewpoints. Yeah. Um, thanks so much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Friday. Hope you have a lovely weekend. And um, yeah, thanks so much for joining. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mycenaean Network Podcast. If you're not already, Please subscribe, store, and leave a review for us in your podcatcher of choice. This helps others find us and helps us make a better podcast for you, our listeners. You can also find and follow us on Twitter at Network Mycelium and join the community on Discord. All the links are available in the show notes.